Hi, everybody, and welcome to A Land Called Homily. My name's David, and this is my podcast. I'm an Episcopal priest serving a beautiful little parish on the Gulf Coast of Alabama called St. Paul's Chapel. These are my weekly talks from our worship service, so I hope they can be of some help to you. Take what you can use and discard the rest. If you're interested in more of my content or if you'd like to get in touch with me, you can visit my website at davidchatel.com. Thanks for listening. Jesus never promised anyone a rose garden. He never gave his disciples any reason to think that what they were a part of would be easy. In fact, he told them in no uncertain terms that things would be hard. Suffering, rejection, And for Jesus, ultimately, execution. He was open about it. It it wasn't a secret, at least not for those willing to listen. And every time he talked about it, his followers got more and more uncomfortable and confused. It was the elephant in the room that nobody wanted to address. Didn't Jesus understand what the times called for? Didn't he know how this was supposed to go? The Jewish Messiah was supposed to be a conquering hero. The Messiah was supposed to liberate his people from the oppression of the Roman Empire. He was supposed to restore a righteous society where the Jews governed themselves and controlled their land and their future. So when Peter pulled him aside that day as he was telling the disciples about everything that would happen, I'd be willing to admit that he wasn't the only one who was worried Jesus had it all wrong. I think it's more likely that Peter was the only one who had the guts to say what everybody else was thinking and feeling. And so he took Jesus aside, like you do when you don't want to embarrass somebody in front of a group, and basically said, Jesus, this is not how it's supposed to be. I think you're confused. The Jewish hope for Messiah, the expectation of a conquering hero, goes back to the beginnings of Judaism itself. It's a hope that is ingrained in the Jewish identity because of their frequent familiarity with suffering and captivity down through history. What's even more fascinating to me, though, is the fact that this idea of a conquering, restoring hero isn't just confined to Judaism. It seems to echo over and over through many of the major religious traditions of humanity. The Messiah figure is so common in religion that in some ways, it's like humans are hardwired to look for some bringer of hope, some figure who will rescue us from whatever it is that we need to be rescued from. So how ironic is it that one of the things Peter needed to be rescued from the most was his expectation of how he should be rescued. If you spend much time in areas like ours where Hurricanes are a fairly common experience. You hear stories about flooding and the disaster that comes along with those kinds of storms. Once upon a time, there was a man who was in the path of a storm. 
And the forecast was for torrential flooding rain. But he was a good Christian man, so he set about praying to God to save him from the coming flood. And as the rains fell and the water started to collect, some friends with a four-wheel drive drove past and called out to him, hey, we've got room for you. Why don't you let us take you to higher ground? He politely refused and explained that he was trusting God would save him when the time was right. Well, soon the water had covered over his yard and was creeping into this old house that was up on piers. A neighbor with a canoe came paddling by and called out to the man, I've got just enough room for you in a life jacket too. Let me paddle you out here. The man shouted through the storm that he knew God was going to rescue him and that somebody else who really needed help should get in the canoe instead. Well, not much later, the water had forced the man up on his roof. He was surrounded by water and out in this raging storm with no shelter. Just then, a helicopter came swooping down and someone with a rescue harness was lowered down to the roof. The man explained at the top of his voice, yelling to be heard over the sound of the helicopter that God was going to save him momentarily and that they should find others who were really in trouble. And he refused to leave his roof. Reluctantly, the air rescue team had to move on because of the high winds and rain. And as they disappeared into the night, the house gave way underneath the man and he was swept away. We get our hearts and minds set on the way we think things should be. And we have such a hard time dealing with a different reality, even if that different reality is far and away better than one we had expected. The truth is that oftentimes we prefer our own versions of how things should be. We prefer our expectations. If you want to say it plainly, we prefer ourselves. And in the rugged individualism that American history and society is built on, that preference for ourselves has been encouraged and even prized for hundreds of years. One of the ways that preference for ourselves manifests in our society is found in the struggle we see so frequently in our history between individual rights and the common good. We tell a really nice story about how our country was built on the positive traits of rugged individualism, but the shadow side of that story is that individualism can easily overstep its bounds and become selfish ambition. Almost always at the cost of the common good. Jesus just doesn't mince words here. Those who want to save their lives will lose them. But those who lose their lives for my sake will save them. If anyone is willing to come after me to follow me, let them deny themselves, 
take up their cross and follow me. This is why I I tell people that being a follower of Christ is not easy. It's because denying yourself is something that is counterintuitive to human tendency. Everything inside us tells us that we have to look out for ourselves first. We have to take care of things the way we want or else it won't get done or else at least it won't be like we think it needs to be. You gotta pick yourself up by the bootstraps and make things happen. And in a lot of life, those things are just common sense and they're a necessary adaptation for survival in society. But if we are to be followers of Jesus, if we wanna live in the reality of God, what the Bible calls the kingdom of heaven, then Jesus teaches us that we have to deny ourselves to the point that we follow him into loving self-sacrifice for the good of others. The word for deny in the original language has this definition, to lose sight of oneself and one's own interests. It's literally to walk into being Christ so far that you can no longer see your own interests. We learn about this sort of self-denial when we take responsibility for someone else. And a lot of times that happens, especially when we become, we become parents, either of human children or sometimes of furry children. We walk in the direction of someone else's own interest to the degree that we begin to lose sight of ourselves. Now, we also have to contrast that with the idea that we are all beloved sons and daughters of God. So it's not a matter of self-abuse or self-neglect or losing the basic identity of your belovedness I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about. I think he's talking about rejecting a system of individuality and of of self-reliance as the basis for the way that we live and that we interact with others. Following Jesus means moving away from a life driven by self-interest and how we expect things to be toward a place of self-sacrifice and care for those around you. Jesus was always honest about the stakes of following him. One way or another, we will all lose our lives, especially if we are consumed with saving them and having things the way we want. But... If we lose our lives for the sake of Christ and the good news of God about everyone, that is when we truly live.